turn to James one twenty-seven. We are in a series where we're looking at the collision between Christianity and our culture. And the Bible demands that we as followers of Christ reflect God's attitudes uh, and as our own and how we live out and how we things we face in this world and, and how our attitudes are towards the things of this world. And, and we've covered some hard topics thus far. If you want to catch up on those, you can obviously um, listen to those on the, on the podcast through the, through the website. Uh, you will be number two listener behind my father. So uh, that'll boost my commissions check from, uh, from the iPod. I don't get a commission check. I'm just kidding. You know better than that. And if I did, I would probably owe them for hosting it. Like, we're hosting this thing and no one's listening, Chris. Can you, can you just take it off? No, so, but if you want to listen to those, you can. And uh, we're going we're gonna to pause in the month of December and, um, and look at some things surrounding the birth of our Savior and, and do a Christmas series and then jump back in January. But if I asked you, before we jump in today, if I asked you to tell me the most pure, the most basic, the most fundamental thing that we as Christians should be doing. Again, not to earn our salvation. We don't earn our salvation as a response to our salvation, as a response to being saved. What's the most pure, basic thing that God demands, expects of His people to reflect His character? In your own mind, what would you say? Is it church? Is it giving? Is it reading your Bible? Is it going to small groups? You know, I, I, I've been listening a while, and I've, I was just thinking about it this morning. And, and you know, is it, is it is God, what God really pleased with from us? Is, is us a people who get really mad and take to social media over a red cup at Starbucks? I mean, is, that, is that really what it's to be about? I mean, I, I, mean I, I, hear, I hear Christians arguing and are furious that Starbucks, some of you don't know what it is, and I wish I didn't know what that was. Apparently, Starbucks took Merry Christmas off of their cup, their red Christmas cup, and Christians are outraged. Is that really what God's called us to do? To, to worry about Mary, the words Merry Christmas on a Starbucks? My question is this, as I, as I heard it on the radio, Karen and I were in the car, and, and I said, you know, I... I I wonder what God thinks about His people. When, when that upsets us more than the things in the Bible, when, when that upsets us more than, than even what we're going to look at today, because God has made it very clear. See, it's easy to get mad about the red cup at Starbucks because, because at the end of the day, nobody, nobody's confronting you. That's not costing you anything. I notice the same people that are still mad, they're the same people that are still drinking out of the red cup that they're mad about. They're still paying $9 for a cup of coffee that costs about 8 cents. Starbucks is laughing all the way to the bank. They're thinking, yeah, keep talking about our red cup. That might be why they did it. Fooled ya. But, but is that really, is, that, is, is God's heart, is He really pleased, has He really called us to be a, a known as a bunch of boycotters? It's just a bunch of angry people against a whole bunch of things? Or has He called us to something more pure? What is it? And I want to answer that question today. 
And, and, and you see it as the title of our sermon today. Can we honestly say our religion is pure and undefiled? Can, can we honestly say that? Because the Bible tells us how we can say that. The, the Bible addresses this. And, and Look with me at James 1. He says, pure and undefiled. Let's start in verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious... Doesn't bri- and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This man's religion is, religion is worthless. Listen to me. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. Here it is. To visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. To visit orphans and to visit widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And what I want to answer today is a couple questions. Why, why, is, why is how God's people care for orphans such a big deal? What, why would, of all the things he would say, why, why would he say this? And, and whatever we say today, what we say today about orphans applies to widows. We're specifically looking at, at orphans today. We have some widows in this, in this church, and you can look at 1 Timothy 5, you can look at James, clearly Clearly, their family is, is the primary caregiver of widows. And the church comes in where, where families are not able. And so we ought to be serving widows. But today we're talking about specifically about, about orphans, about foster children, about things like that. But why, why does it matter so much to God? Why, why is this so precious to God? And secondly, can we honestly say... Can we honestly look ourselves in the mirror, look God face to face? This comes in James right after James says, Hey, don't be a hearer of God's word, be a doer. Don't be like the man who looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he says. Can we honestly look in the mirror and say that our religion is pure and undefiled based on our attitude and our approach to how we minister to orphans and to widows? Based on your attitude, based on your approach, based on how you're serving in that area, can, you, can we honestly say that? that? That's what I want to answer today. And I want to do it by explaining why, why it would be such a big deal to God. Why this would be what He would pick to highlight here. For pure and undefiled Religion and, and the first thing I want us to see as I answer that question, and you see it on your handout, is, is this. How God's people care for orphans is a big deal because it's a picture of God's salvation. It, it's a picture of salvation. The, the most profound act of adoption, listen to me, is not found in human beings taking other human beings into their home and into their family and calling them their children. That, that's not where it started. The most profound act of adoption is God taking you and me, sinners, enemies, into His family through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been adopted, the Scriptures say. That, that is the most profound act of grace, the most profound act of adoption that we'll ever, that we'll ever see or ever hear about. Listen, let me, let me give us some verses. Galatians 4, verse 4, just to, to show this point. Paul, Paul writes in Galatians 4, 4, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that, me, that we might receive the adoption 
as sons. You know, there are families in this church, we're going to talk about a moment, about it being costly. Our salvation was costly. The most profound, the most profound act of grace, the most profound act is, again, God taking us in. Romans 8. Look at, l- listen to what Romans 8 and, and, and in verse uh, 14 through 17, Paul says. He says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a, received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may be glorified with Him. Think think about that privilege just for a moment. To call God Daddy. To be able to approach the the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one true God, and, and have the right and the privilege to call Him Daddy. Think about children all over the world who would give anything to go to at night to call somebody daddy. To say, as our children do, I'm sure you do it and, and mine do. There, there's a routine in it and I, and, and I love to hear it. We will read the Bible in, um, in Bradley's room together as a family. We'll tuck Bradley in. I'll leave with Sarah and I'll go tuck her in. Karen will, will read what seems like a book to Bradley at night, and he loves to read, and then she will go, she'll go tuck um, Sarah in and kiss her goodnight, and here's what Sarah says every night, send daddy in. Probably one of the highlights of my day is every night to hear my daughter say that, send daddy in, and I'll say, Sarah, I already tucked you in. She says, no, send daddy in, and, and think about the joy for a little girl or a little boy to have the privilege. But think about this, guys. I have a greater joy and a greater privilege. I can call upon the Lord anytime and say, Daddy, can we talk? Because better yet than saying, send Daddy in. You know what the Lord has said? Through, you know what God has said through those who believe in Jesus Christ? He has said, no, just come on in. Come on in. I'm not asking permission to go in. He's giving me permission. He's literally calling us in through the adoption, through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. We've been adopted. We've gone from orphans. We've gone from being children of wrath, the Bible says, to children who, have an, who are heirs. Ephesians 1, listen to what Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus who are faithful in Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Listen, in love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. We, we, as, a, we as God's people have to recognize and appreciate and, and comprehend the reality that we did not draw up, we did not dream up the idea of adoption. We did not dream up the care for orphans. God did. 
And the reason why he's called us as his people to do this is because that is exactly what he did for us first. He's simply, he's simply saying, go and do likewise. The way that you have been loved, the way that I have loved you, go and do likewise. Listen, bringing people who are not our family into our family is at the heart of the gospel. That's exactly what God did. He brought his enemies, Romans 5, 8 says. We were enemies. I realize that we like to think of ourselves as this cute little precious bundle of joy, and, and God was smart, and, and he should have adopted us. Listen to me, we're enemies. Psalm 5, 5 tells you this, that he hated you because of your sin. That's how repulsive our sin is to God, and that's the very people that he adopted. And, and just to paint the picture a little more clearly, I, I want us to think real quick of the similarities between our adoption through Christ, but also our earthly adoption to see the picture and how it's modeled. The and the first thing I want to see is bringing, listen, bringing others into your family, just like God bringing us into his family, is going to be costly. It's going to be costly. Our adoption cost God His Son. We saw that in Galatians 4. He, he says, well, you have been redeemed. The word redeemed literally means to buy back. When you redeem a coupon, you present that coupon on behalf. It, it's, it's, it's talking about a cost. It means to pay the price. The price for my redemption and your redemption, for those of you who are believers, was God's Son, His life. Galatians 3.13 says, He literally became a curse. Sin brought a curse. We were separated from God. Jesus Christ became the curse for us, that God's wrath would be satisfied and He could rightly bring us in. The price was death. In the same way, and, and some of you know it uh, better, than, better than me, but caring for orphans will be costly. Adopting children into your family will be costly. It will be costly financially, emotionally. It will be costly on your time. One more, I mean, I think about this. One, one more person taking a chunk out of the pie that is my time. It will be costly. The cost of caring for somebody, looking after them, loving them, assuming responsibility for them, costly. And this is where culture and Christianity collide culture says, hey, it's all about you, do what's best for you, live for yourself, all that. You know what God is saying? It's got nothing to do about you and me. It's got everything to do about God. And he says, pay the price. Why? Because I paid the price first, he says. You show the world a picture of the gospel and how we care for orphans. The question is, will we pay the price? Will we redeem others the way that we have been redeemed? Will we sacrifice the, the legal aspect, the paperwork, De Debbie and Ray just walked through this. All of that, I'm not belittling it. None of that compares to what it cost and what it took to bring you and I sinners into God's family. And yet he was willing to pay the price. The question is this, will, will we look to God as our joy or will we look to culture as our joy? Will we find joy in sacrifice and living out the gospel, or will we find our joy in stuff? Will we just be takers of the gospel and then just sit quiet in what God has done, or will we be enamored with what God has done and grateful and in that gratitude, in that gratitude, not earning, not trying to pay God back, but in gratitude for what God has done, do unto others? Costly. 
But listen, not only is it costly, bringing others into our family, both for God and us, is going to require a change of legal status. You, you look at Galatians 4, 6. He says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Listen to this. We are sons. God doesn't treat us as second-class citizens. He doesn't treat us less than his son. He says we're co-heirs. Adopted children, children, fostered children, you bring children in your home, they're not second-class citizens. They are co-heirs. They have, you have changed their legal status. They are children. They're equal. We, through Christ and His death and burial and resurrection, through our placing our faith in that, we literally become legal sons and legal daughters of God. There is a legal change. Full privileges, guess what? I got them. Co-heirs with Christ. The Scriptures call me His brother. Brother, think about that. Brothers, sisters of God, children of God. And, and as these are poured out, look, notice what Ephesians says. He didn't just kind of bestow his grace upon us. It says he lavished it upon us. This wasn't something that I got to do. It. No, no, I gladly do it. Why? Because of love. And we gladly do it. I remember, and not to embarrass him, I remember the, the Cordovas have been very uh, faithful, as many as you are, and, and uh, anytime I name one family, I'm not trying to favorites to them, but I just, it, I remember they had a little boy named D, and I remember D calling Johnny Daddy. He wanted more than anything just to call somebody his daddy. Just the joy of being able to claim somebody as his daddy. And listen, John has three little girls that call him daddy. Guess what? Little D called him daddy, just like those three little girls called him daddy. For that period of time that he was in their home, little D had full rights. It wasn't, hey, you know, our kids eat out of this cupboard. You know what? You, this, is our, this is our fostering child cupboard over here. You know what? We do that. No, no, no. Full rights. Full privileges. Again, think about the joy of, for somebody to be able to call somebody their daddy. To be able to say, hey, daddy, tuck me in. Daddy, read me a book. To have somebody claim you as their own to take full responsibility, to say, hey, you're mine. But that's what God did for us. Self-esteem, you know where I get my self-esteem? In, in the God of gods who calls me his son. The God of God who calls me redeemed, who calls me child. Look, you can do whatever you want to do with me. I'm a child of the king. I get to call him daddy. I can approach his throne. I can, I can run into his room, if you will, anytime. Think about the privilege of that. The joy of being able to call somebody our father. Of making sons and daughters out of those who are not. But not only, not only is it costly, not only, not only is it is a change of status and getting to call somebody daddy, bringing others into our family, just like God bringing you and I into his family, oftentimes will involve bad situations. I, I'm a parent just like you. I have two children, and, and, and Satan will dupe me into coming up with all these reasons. Well, you know, I'll bring her back. 
our house ain't pretty. You know my bad situation? There's bad situations going on in the bathroom house regularly. And, and, and Satan will convince us of all, all these things, oh, all reasons why we shouldn't do it. Listen to, listen to Ephesians 2, 3. This is, who, this is who God adopted into his family. Start in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too you all formerly lived in the lust of your flesh, indulging the desires of your flesh and your mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's who God adopted. That's you, that's me. Listen to this. Here's the, I love these statements in Scripture. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us together alive to Christ. But God, grace. God, God took us as children when we were ugly, when we were rebellious, when we were evil. There was nothing attractive about us. Romans 5 says we were enemies. Psalm 5 says that he, that he hated us because of, because of our sin. He, he didn't take the likely, he took the unlikely. Deuteronomy 7 talks about Israel, that they were the least likely. They were the least of all nations. That's who God picked. Do, are we going to be people that do things just because they're easy? Or are we willing to sacrifice? But, but not, only, not, only, not only those things, bringing others into our family and God bringing you and I into our family is marked by a moral transformation. L listen to what God is doing. God didn't adopt us and then leave us. Ephesians 5.1, he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. You, you bring somebody into your family, they begin to walk like you and talk like you and act like you and think like you. You're leading them to the cross. It's literally a mission field in your home. God didn't adopt us and then say, hey, go be gone. No, no. Day by day as we spend time with him, his character becomes our character. And morally, we're transformed. It's the same thing in our, in our earthly adoptions. And, and that's what leads me to, to our second point. Not only, not only is this about, not only is our adoption and, and about salvation, but how God's people care for orphans is a big deal because it's a picture of God's character. It's a picture of His character. I, I won't read all these for the sake of time because we're going to end the service a little, a little differently today, but, but just a couple of passages just so you grasp the character of God, to war, uh, uh, just the character of God. Deuteronomy 10, 18 says this. He executes, this is about God. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. Guess what it says in verse 19? So, so show your love for them too. Do the same thing. You go to Deuteronomy uh, verse chapter 24 Verses 17 and 19. You shall not pervert the justice due to an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment in a pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I'm commanding you to do this thing. He goes on to say, When you reap your harvest in the field, you have forgotten a sheaf in the field. You shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, in order that the Lord your God may bless you. You know what he's saying? Save some. Set aside some. Make plans to care for these individuals. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 
verses 5 through 7, says, uh, again, picture, a picture of God's heart, His character. He says, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and a neighbor, if you do not, listen to this, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land. He's saying this is true religion. We're to do this because it reflects our Father's character. And what God is doing, the point behind it is God is revealing Himself through our actions toward others. He's revealing Himself to the world. He's given us an opportunity to reveal Himself to our neighbors and to those around us. Who all of a sudden, hey, where'd that can't, let me, let me tell you. He's literally guiding us in our representation of Him. He's making sure that His people look like Him. Look, one of the most, of the most prominent ways that God reveals Himself in the Old Testament is, is through the word kesed. And, and it's literally one of those words where you feel like you're, you know, you sound like you're clearing your throat when you say it. That C-H, it's spelled H-E-S-D, but the H has that K sound. One of the most prominent ways, it, it literally means loving kindness. It, it's, hard to, it's hard to reveal in just one word. It, it means faithful mercy. It means steadfast loving kindness. It means loyalty. It means sacrificial mercy. L listen to Lamentations. I'll just read one of them. Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. In, in Micah, he, he says the, the same thing. In Micah 7, verses 18 and 19, listen to this. Who is a God like you? Daniel led us this morning to say that. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity, who passes over the rebellious act of the remnants of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, he will, you will cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love. It's sacrificial mercy. That, that's a picture of our father. He, he says, this is who I am. You're my people. Go do the same. Represent me. Why do we do that? How do we do that? A couple things, and you see on your notes, God desires that we respond to His loving kindness with, first of all, with loving kindness toward God. How do we respond to God's loving? First of all, with towards God. If you look at the book of Hosea, God is rebuking His people for failing to demonstrate the loving kindness they had received. They failed to give that back to God in response. Listen to Hosea 4.1. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. Same word, kessid. Hosea 6.4 For your faithfulness, that's the word kessid, is like a morning cloud and like the early dew, it goes away. They were fickle. In contrast to a God who had, uh, was unchanging in His faithfulness, unchanging in His sacrificial mercy, they, they were fickle. It was an inaccurate representation. Hosea 6.6, 6, listen to what he says. I desire mercy, that's the same word, kessid, and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You know what he's saying? I, I don't need your sacrifice. I desire a people who show sacrificial mercy to those around them. I desire a people who live out 
what they have received. That's what my people are known about. Same thing James says. God says, I don't want your insincere, hypocritical worship. I don't want you gathering. He'd say this today. I don't want you gathering on Sunday and not taking care of the widows the rest of the week, not caring the, taking care of the orphans and those in need the rest of the week. Quit it. And, and God is saying, I'm demanding that, we, that my people respond to him, respond to the world as I've given you. And really, when we serve, listen to me, when we serve, aren't we just serving out of the overflow of what God has done for us? I'm not, I'm not conjuring this up. I'm simply serving out of the gratitude and all that, all that God has poured into my life. I'm giving the overflow of that. It's not, it's not pulling my bootstraps. Going, no, no, it's just, hey, I'm loved. It's a privilege. He's saying respond to God with loyalty, to His loving kindness with loyalty. But, but not only towards God, God desires that we respond like this to others. Listen to Zechariah 7, 9. Execute true justice, show mercy, that's kessed, and compassion everyone to his brother. Micah 6, 8, our memory verse. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy or kindness, that's kessed, and to walk humbly with God. The whole point here is that we are to give others what we first receive from God. We are to give others what we have received. On our high school campuses, on our middle school campuses, in our elementary schools, in our neighborhoods, at work. We're to give others what we first received. We have received sacrificial mercy. We ourselves have been adopted. Go and do likewise. True religion. The outworking of our salvation. Sacrificial, selfless love. And even this we do as an offering, not, not to the praise of ourselves, we do it as an offering to our great God because of what He's done. True, undefiled, pure religion is looking after orphans. Not, again, not just to go be with them. James says, look back in James 1.27, back to there, he says, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. God has visited us and we're to visit them. It, it is to look after them. It's not just to be with them. Listen, that word visit, literally, it's not to say, hey, how you doing? Hope you have a good day and walk away. It is, that word literally means to take responsibility. To take responsibility for them. It, it, because that's exactly what God has done for us. That, that's why the, the deal with, with Pasitos, and I will tell you the meeting, thank you for praying, the meeting went very well. Uh, everybody is, is, is moving forward and they're putting together plans to, for everybody to move forward together and have a, a, a unified vision and thank you for, for praying. But there's a real responsibility for us to take care of those who cannot for whatever reason. Because it's a picture of what God has done for us. It is sacrificial mercy you see on your handout we sacrificially care for people who benefit us the least and who have nothing to offer us in return that is counterculture. our culture loves to serve people hey you scratch my back guess what if i scratch your back guess what the world expects you're gonna scratch my back hey i serve you you know what you better be there when i need to be served that's not what god says God says you serve sacrificially those who can't repay you at all. You let me deal with the repayment. 
You let me deal with that. And, and we're serving out of an overflow of God's character, again, that we first received. God's love wells up in us. Guess what? We can't help but overflow to others. You know, go experience. You, th- that's why Twitter and Facebook and all these things are so popular. When we experience something great, we naturally want to tell somebody. Twitter and Facebook and all that is just a chance for us to show our pride and, all, and just to say, my life is better than yours. Look at my life. I, I feel good about my life until I see what other people are doing in their lives. I feel pretty good as a husband, and then I see that these people have gone. I'm like, Karen, don't read that stuff. Like, just pretend that's a fairy tale world out there. Husbands really aren't doing that for their wives. Come on. Nobody ever posts real life stuff on Facebook. Rarely. It's a it's a fairy tale world. But but the point is this: when we experience something great, we naturally want to tell somebody about it. Why would that be any less with the things of God? We've experienced salvation, something greater than anything else. Why would we not want to tell somebody? Why would we not want to live that out? But but the third way it's counterculture is this. We're serving to God's glory, not our own. The world wants the glory. The world wants the glory. Pure and undefiled religion, giving others simply because we have first received, expecting nothing. That is sacrificial mercy. And I hope you see the importance here. Not only is the gospel at stake, but God's character is at stake. And, and I want to bring this home real quick, because I, I want to I call for a response here, to pray for a response, but, but Daniel's going to lead us in a, in a song, and we've got a ministry to, to beseech us. But listen, I want to bring this home real quick. Let's put some real numbers so we can really evaluate, really make a decision about ourselves. According, according to stats, and these are always changing, there are approximately 19,000 children in the foster care system in Florida, in, the, in total, 5,200 of which are in the system waiting to be adopted, meaning this, parental rights of their parents have been terminated. Are those, those are kind of right, Debbie? I hope so. Don't just nod your head this way if they're not right. No, I, I looked them up. I called people. I made sure they're right. Listen to this. Here's where I'm going with this. If, if we looked at just Southern Baptist churches in Florida, just Southern Baptist churches, let's assume, like some of us do anyway, that we're the only ones going to heaven. Not true, but let's assume that we're only the only ones. It's not true. For those of you listening on the podcast, we don't believe that. Dad. Look, there are 3,000. 3,000. Let, let's assume for a moment... These are conservative numbers that there are 25 to 30 families per Southern Baptist church. The average church size in America. I realize many of us came from Idlewild, which is 6,000 people. You come here and you think we're so small. Well, guess what? The average church size in Florida is about 100 people. So we're about two and a half, three times bigger than your average church. Mega church title. Put that on there, baby. (laughs) So listen, that would mean this. 90, there are approximately 90,000 people families in our SBC churches alone in Florida. There are 19,000 children in the foster care system. Listen to me, follow the numbers out. That's one child for every four SBC families. One child. 
Listen to this. Let's take it beyond the SBC. There are 16,000 churches in Florida. If they averaged 30 people per, per, 30 families per church, which is about right, average church size 100, there are 480,000 Christian families in the state of Florida. There are 19,000 children in the foster care system. Listen to me. That's one for every 25 supposedly Christian families. One for every 25. I started looking, and again, very convicting. I'll be the first to confess to you. My wife and I should have signed up for Safe Family. I will repent of that. I have found all kinds of reasons and excuses and, and busyness and all that. And I, I was broke. Listen, even more broken about it. Listen to what, as I looked and said, okay, what, what if we don't? What if we just ignore it? Listen to what Exodus 22 says and, and others. In Exodus 22, verse 22 through 24, you shall not afflict any widow or orphan. This is God. If you afflict him at all, and if, he do, and if he does cry out to me, I will hear his cry, and my anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with the sword, you and your wives and your children. He's saying, look, if my people don't take care of the orphans, you're going to have me to deal with. L- listen to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 27. Deuteronomy 27, verse 19. Cursed is he who distorts the justice to an alien, an orphan, and a widow. Jeremiah 5, 28. You're saying enough is enough, Chris. No, let's just keep going. Jeremiah 5, verse 28. They are fat, they are sleek, they they excel in the deeds of wickedness. Listen to this. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the orphan, that they may prosper, and they do not defend the rights of the poor. You know why you don't you know it was people were not defending the orphan? Because they were too consumed with, with their own money. They were too consumed by being fat and sleek. And so they ignored. In in Malachi, he, he says, he, he goes on to say in, in Malachi 3 5. It says, then I will draw near to you for judgment and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earners' wages, who oppress the widow and who oppress the orphan and those who turn aside the fallen and do not fear me. In, in Malachi 2.17, which is really the whole premise, they, God, is, God is, is convicting them and they say, You who have said to the Lord with your words, let us say, How have we wearied the Lord in that you say everyone does evil? God says, This is how you've wearied me, by turning your back on those who have needs. Now, based on that, let's go back to the original question, which is countercultural in and of itself. Based upon our response, to orphans and widows, can we truly say that we have pure and undefiled religion? Put those two together. Notice how God doesn't define it. Church attendance, good thing. Reading the Bible, good thing. Being good, good thing. He said caring for widows and orphans. How is the church doing in regards to reflecting the character of our God to a watching world? 
the question I, I battled with this week is why can't the church eradicate this issue? You see, with the numbers that I just showed you. What kind of impact do you think it would be on our culture if, you, if people looked around and they said, what happened to all the kids at the church? God's people took, care, t- God's people took responsibility for them. What? Yeah. God's people did. We have an opportunity to rise up and show God's love and mercy to those who need someone to defend them, who those who need somebody to stand behind them. And I'm grateful to pastor a church where this is rampant. I don't, I don't want us to walk out of here just feeling beaten. I want us to feel challenged. We have been put here to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, to live out the gospel in our daily lives, and this is one opportunity that we have to do this. We are called, in some, and it's not going to look the same for every family. Don't hear me say that. I don't, want, I don't want us to walk around saying, well, you did this and I did that and you did this. It's not going to look the same for all of us. But there ought to be a component of our walk out of the overflowing gratitude of our being saved that, that deals with, with orphans and widows. And, and listen, you see on your handout three responses, and, and, and this is what I say. It's not going to look the same for all of us. I'm, I'm just going to... Three responses. I'm going to have Daniel come up, and, and as you think about these responses, he's going to play, and, uh, and then I'm going to come back, and I want to introduce Debbie, and, and a gentleman by the name of Godly Daniels is going to be out in the, in the foyer. Karen wants to share with you the, the ministry to Pesitos and what we put together there. But three responses. Listen to this. The first response is this. Consider and embrace the wonder. As Daniel plays, and as you hear these words... Consider and embrace the wonder of having been adopted by God into his family. Just, just stop and pause for a moment and reflect the wonder that you've been adopted. Another response for some of us, God may lead us to support, uh, support ministries of adoption and fostering through financial sacrifice. You say, hey, I'm not in a position to bring children in my home. I'm going to make sure that other people can. I'm going to make sure that the individuals who are putting children into homes can still do that. Thirdly, for some of us, it, it's prayerfully, might you prayerfully consider adoption and fostering in your own home, bringing a child into your own home. As Daniel plays, I, I want to give us a moment just to contemplate that.